We know the value of vulnerability, but we don't necessarily know how to do it best at work. Some leaders do show vulnerability, but then don't connect it back to leadership. In this episode, where we go wrong, how to do better, and what real vulnerability sounds like. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 648. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. One of the words that leaders hear often in their own leadership development and intention is vulnerability. Most of us know the importance of vulnerability and utilizing vulnerability to help our organizations to grow and to inspire the folks that we support. And yet, it's also a challenge to know how to do it well and to bring vulnerability in in a genuine way but also in a way that actually helps us lead. Today, I'm so glad to welcome an expert that's going to help us to take that next step. Jacob Morgan is a trained futurist and one of the world's leading authorities on leadership, the future of work, and employee experience. He speaks in front of tens of thousands of people each year, and his content is seen over a million times annually. He's the best-selling author of five books, including The Future Leader, The Employee Experience Advantage, The Future of Work, and The Collaborative Organization. He speaks at over 50 conferences a year, including TED Academy, which is one of the largest TED events in the world. Jacob provides advisory and thought leadership services to organizations all over the world. He has created tons of educational videos and articles found at greatleadership.substack.com and is host of the Great Leadership with Jacob Morgan podcast. He's also the author of the new book, Leading with Vulnerability, How to Unlock Your Greatest Superpower to Transform Yourself, Your Team, and your organization. Jacob, what a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a a fan of your show and all the work that you've been doing. And people should also know that we're not that far away from each other. So you're in uh, Orange County. I'm probably an hour and a half away from you. Yeah, just up the road. I'm so glad we got connected recently. And I have seen your work for years. I'd been on your website a few times prior to us connecting. And so thank you, first of all, for all the work you've done. And as I was reading the book, you don't have to go far in the book to discover that this wasn't an easy book for you to write. And one of the stories that you share is that shortly after signing the contract for the book, you started having panic attacks. What happened? Yeah, that was <laughs> not a very pleasant experience. So those of you who are listening, I don't know if you've ever had a panic attack or heaven forbid, a, a heart attack, but if you've ever had either one of those things happen to you, you know it's the most terrifying thing that can possibly happen. Obviously, a heart attack is far more severe, but yeah. when you have a panic attack, you don't actually know what it is. It feels just like a heart attack. And so for me, what was happening, as you alluded to, this was a few weeks after I signed the contract for my book, I was standing in my bathroom and I was brushing my teeth. It was around 7.30 in the morning. And as I'm brushing my teeth, and again, I'm just standing there and not doing anything. All of a sudden, I notice my heart starts just beating like crazy. It probably 130 beats per minute. And I'm not even moving. My resting heart rate is probably between 50 to 60. I'm at 130. So my heart starts beating out of my chest. And I'm like, huh, all right, that's a little weird. Uh, then all of a sudden, I have trouble breathing. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, 
And I'm like, okay, you know, something weird is going on here. My vision became blurry. And then I was overcome with this just feeling of dread and panic. It, it almost felt like somebody had injected me with so much adrenaline that my body couldn't handle it. Ugh, so and, scary. Oh yeah, it was terrifying. So I was freaking out. And eventually I got an appointment to go see a doctor. They did an EKG and they're like, you know what? Your heart's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with you. But then the doctor says, you know, you might want to go see a different kind of doctor. So I'm sitting talking to a therapist and after a couple of sessions, it became very clear that what happened is the, the very fact that I had committed to writing a book about vulnerability, which is not something that I have practiced, not something that I've been good at, not something that comes naturally to me or my family, caused me to have these panic attacks. Now, to give people some context, my parents came from the Republic of Georgia. We're talking about former uh, USSR communist regime. They were persecuted for being Jews there. In that kind of an environment, you have to imagine, you're not going to get very far where you're going to be talking about emotions and feelings and challenges and struggles and what's going on with you. Right. My mom, my mom always did her best to model the emotional openness and vulnerability. But my dad, who is a, you have to imagine as a young boy, that's who I grew up emulating. His message was always, nobody cares about your problems. Don't talk about your feelings. Don't share things with anybody. You got to be a strong, tough man. Like that's how I grew up. And that's how I lived my entire adult life. And then all of a sudden, I all of that kind of turns around for me when I had this panic attack. So yeah, it was a very pivotal moment for me. And my body and my mind are just like, wow, you just committed to spending years writing about something that you never do and don't believe in? <laughs> like, we're going to show you. And then <laughs> panic attack happened. It's so ironic, isn't it? And here you are, let's having a conversation about a book you've written about vulnerability. Given everything you just said, what caused you to actually decide to do this book, given your background, given the discomfort with exploring this topic? Why? It's a good question. And it's something that I've debated even doing. So the idea originally came about, so when I wrote my last book, The Future Leader, which came out in 2020, I interviewed 140 CEOs for that book. And even during the writing process for that book, I would hear a lot of CEOs that I was interviewing, they would bring up vulnerability. And they would talk about it, but they were also, they would bring it up in the context of understanding its value, but also not understanding how to live it, how to implement it, how to make it real inside of their organizations, specifically because they are in leadership positions. So while everybody knows what it feels like to be vulnerable, very few people know what it means to lead with vulnerability. And so what these CEOs would keep asking me is they would say, hey, Jacob, you know, we get the concept of what it means to be vulnerable. We believe in it. We practice this in our personal lives. But inside of our organizations, there's a very different dynamic. And so if I'm showing up to work, my employees want me to be competent and they want me to be confident. They want to know that I'm steering the ship in the right direction and that they can trust me and believe in me as their captain to guide them to safety. But at the same time, my employees want me to talk about my challenges and my struggles and my failures and my doubts and my insecurities. How do I reconcile with these two seemingly opposing viewpoints? On the one hand, I'm supposed to be strong and competent and this great leader. And on the other hand, I'm supposed to talk about my weaknesses and challenges and struggles. And so what I understood through that process 
is that a lot of leaders really struggle with vulnerability, with how to make it real. And mm. that realization for me, as I was going through my own kind of panic attack process, led me to come up with this idea. Well, if if I remember that so many leaders are struggling with vulnerability, if I'm struggling with it, so many people are struggling with it, why not dive deep into this topic specifically for current or aspiring leaders who are in a very different dynamic, which we can dive into more, and talk about how should they specifically be approaching vulnerability in the right way so that they can create trust, unlock the potential of others, lead through change, and let's not forget part of their responsibility is to drive business performance. So how do you tap into vulnerability to do those things without sacrificing your responsibilities, without sacrificing the expectations that everybody puts on you to be a strong and a competent leader? You write, I believe that the single most important and impactful thing that you can do for yourself and everyone around you is to lead with vulnerability. And mm -hmm. speaking to the results you just mentioned, uh, you go on to say organizations regularly displaying vulnerability are four and a half times more likely to be prepared to foster an inclusive culture than those who don't. They're two, more than two times more likely to be prepared to operate in a highly ambiguous business environment and almost two and a half times more likely to be prepared to manage a remote workforce. The case is there. We know the numbers. We know the research. And, yeah. and, and while I think a lot of us do know that intellectually, like when you say, okay, it's important vulnerability and leadership, like a lot of people would be nodding their heads, certainly in our, our audiences, but we don't do it in practice on a regular basis, do we? No, we don't. And so the message that I have in the book is a little bit counterintuitive. It's not to be vulnerable at work. It's to lead with vulnerability. And I can talk a little bit about what the difference is and share a story there. I actually think that for leaders, purely being vulnerable is dangerous. It can cause more harm than good. And I'm sure we just talked about the panic attack and all these CEOs and your listeners are probably like, well, what is Jacob talking about here? So let me illustrate this with a story if I can. Please. So one of the stories that I talk about in my book is from Hollis Harris. And Hollis Harris used to be the CEO of Struggling Continental Airlines. And one of the things that Hollis Harris did in, I believe it was August 20th, 1991, Hollis goes in front of his entire workforce. He sends out a memo to everybody. And he basically says, our company is struggling. We're going down. I'm not sure what to do. I need everybody at this company to pray for the future of our business. Okay, That was his message to the organization. Mm -hmm. Now, this story was actually told to me by Doug Parker, the chairman and CEO of American Airlines, who I, I believe recently retired. And he made a very interesting point to me. And he said, what Hollis did was vulnerable, but there was no leadership. And so the, the distinction there is very important because had Hollis been, let's say, Joe in accounting, he's been at the company for a few years, maybe he doesn't have any direct reports, and he shows up to work and he says, you know what? I don't really have faith in the future of this business anymore. We're struggling. Uh, I don't know what's going on, but I think the company is is really in trouble. Somebody would probably go over to him and say, "Hey, you know what, Hollis? It sounds like you're having a bad day. Why don't Why don't we go for lunch? Why don't we go grab some coffee? Maybe take some of the day off, and we'll see you tomorrow." And that's it. That would have been the end of that. But when you're a leader of a team or a function of a business, and you show up to work and you ask your employees to pray for the future of the business, and you just come in and you say, I don't know what to do. I need help. I'm making mistakes. People are going to look at you and say, wait a minute, why are you in this leadership role? What are you doing here? You are not the right person to be leading our company and our business. 
Now, let me contrast this with several, you know, many, many other stories I heard from CEOs. One of them came from Fleetwood Grobler. He's the CEO of a South African energy company called Sassel. He took over the business, 32,000 employees. When he took over the business, they were around $13 billion in debt. Okay, the banks were about to come in and repossess the entire company and take everything over. Mm. And this was even before the pandemic happened. Then the pandemic happened. This was shortly after he became CEO. And he too was in a very similar position to Hollis. And he too had to address his entire workforce. And he too had to be vulnerable. But the message that he gave was very different. His message was to his employees, I have a vision for where I want the business to go. I have an idea of how we can turn things around. I don't know the exact steps that we can take, but I believe in my team. I believe in you as employees. And I think that we can rebuild trust in our customers and in our employees. And if you are willing to go with me on this journey and help me figure out the steps that we need to take, then together we can turn this business around and be successful. That is a very different message to give than to simply say, pray for the future of the company. So the difference here is what Hollis did is he was vulnerable. What Fleetwood did is he led with vulnerability. The key distinction here and the way that I like to define this is what does it mean to lead with vulnerability? What does it mean to be a vulnerable leader? And the way that I define being a vulnerable leader is a leader who intentionally opens themselves up to the potential of emotional harm, but while taking action to create a positive outcome. It's that second piece of the puzzle that most people forget to do. How do you take action to create that positive outcome? That is what Hollis didn't do and what Fleetwood did. So the emotional exposure piece, sharing something that puts you out there is vulnerable. The leadership piece is the action that you are going to take to improve the situation, to grow, to move forward, to help solve a problem. And that is why I always tell leaders, do not be vulnerable, lead with vulnerability instead. There's so many ands there, aren't there? It's yes, vulnerability, of course, and the leadership message with it. And your whole book is really built around this equation and you you introduce it early on. Vulnerability plus leadership equals vulnerable leadership. Now, you look yes. at that, and I actually looked at that graphic at first when I was reading it a few nights ago, and I'm like, okay, that's kind of obvious, right? And <laughs> and it is. But then when you really start thinking about it, and you think about those examples you just cited, and how often we think like vulnerability is vulnerability itself, but we don't think to add on the leadership piece of it. And that's where I think like this is so critical of being able to do both. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, there's a a chart in the book that has a little bit of those comparisons too. And, you know, simple way to kind of build on what we were sharing is to think of being vulnerable. And when you hear these things, you don't inherently think that these are negative or they're bad, right? Being vulnerable is things like admitting to a, a mistake, ask for help, you show emotion, you say, I don't know, you talk about challenges or struggles, you're unsure. Now, inherently you hear that and you're like, wait a minute, what's wrong with that? What's wrong to show up to work and talk about a mistake? That's a vulnerable thing to do. That's right. Yeah. But again, we are talking about somebody who is a leader, right? Current or aspiring leader. So what I encourage you to do, being vulnerable, yes, admit to a mistake. How do you add the leadership piece to that? How do you lead with vulnerability? 
Well, you take the admitting to a mistake and instead you say, so instead of just showing up to work and saying, hey, I'm really sorry, I, I made this mistake, Dave, I, I screwed up, my bad. What's far more powerful and what leading with vulnerability means is if I show up to work and I say, hey, Dave, I made this mistake and I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that it happened, but you know, here's what I learned from the mistake that I made. Mm-hmm. And here's what I'm going to do going forward to make sure that this does not happen again. Another example, you ask for help. I could show up to work tomorrow and I could say, hey, Dave, I have no idea how to do this. Can you help me? That's very vulnerable. What's leading with vulnerabilities, if I show up to work and I say, hey, Dave, I don't really know how to do this. Can you help me? And after you help me, here's what I'm going to do to make sure that I absorb the information so that I know what to do going forward. I actually signed up for this class. I'm actually going to talk to so-and-so. I've I've enrolled in these various things and invested my time and resources to make sure that going forward, after you help me, I'm going to be able to figure this out on my own. And I think that's the big mistake that a lot of people make inside of organizations. They oftentimes use vulnerability as a crutch to justify poor performance or lack of competence. Leading with vulnerability basically means that you focus on two things, competence and connection. Vulnerability is the connection piece. Leadership is the competence piece. You still have to be good at your job. You cannot substitute that. And that I think is, like you said, you look at that and you think, well, yeah, duh. But it's something that we forget, we don't talk about. And I that's the big thing that I want to hammer in on people. Leadership plus vulnerability. This chart at the end of chapter two, I mean, it's worth getting the book just for that because there's so many places here that like we have really well-intended motivations to bring vulnerability in. I'm thinking about one of the examples you just mentioned of admitting to making a mistake. A hundred years ago, almost, Dale Carnegie wrote in How to Win Friends and Influence People, one of the best ways to lead is talk about your mistakes before criticizing the other person. Great advice, right? Great way to be vulnerable. But if you don't follow it up with then the what is it that I have learned from that, then you miss the leadership component of it too. And then it ends up, like you said, it's like it ends up landing flat. By the way, I love there's a story in the book about a really kind of hard-nosed, tough leader who like is oh, yeah. always different. You know where I'm going, don't you? Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> you tell the story. <laughs> so if it's a story that I'm thinking of, one of the CEOs that I interviewed, he shared this story, and this was early on in his career. He worked for a CEO, and this was like, people need to have context, right? So in the 80s, the 90s, I think even back to the 70s, there used to be magazines that Fortune was publishing, which would highlight America's toughest bosses. And it would be a badge of honor to be America's toughest boss. Yeah. It would be a badge of honor to say that you are working for one of America's toughest bosses. Like, yeah, I work for Jack Welsh. Yeah, he's, you know, he's a tough SOB. Like, it was a badge of honor to say that. And so this CEO that I interviewed, and at the time, I, you know, he was a mid-level leader, he said that he worked for this really hard-nosed, tough CEO. You know, the type of CEO that would just punch you right in the teeth. And then one day this person that I interviewed shows up to work and the CEO of the company at the time calls in a bunch of his direct reports. I think it was like 10 or 12 people. He puts them into a conference room and he starts playing a a song and he starts playing The Wind Beneath My Wings by Bette Midler. (laughs) And he starts telling everybody in the room 
that they are the wind beneath his wings and how much he appreciates them and that they're so great. And, and then this person that I was interviewing at the time, he's like, we all looked at each other and thought that this CEO was having a stroke. Like yesterday, he's cursing us out. He's screaming at us. And today he's showing up and playing Bette Midler's The Wind Beneath My Wings. <laughs> so there's something to be said. for, And they just did not view it as being authentic. They were like, you know what? We prefer the other guy who's going to show up to work and act like he's going to knock us out. Then, because we don't know what to do with this Bette Midler stuff. Like, yeah. we are, are you okay? Are you having a breakdown? Like, we don't know what to do with this information here. So, you, it's not just about showing up to work. You're not going to flip a switch and be like, hey, you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to show up to work and talk about all my deep, dark problems and secrets and stuff like that. That, that doesn't work either. So, people need to realize that it's not about turning your organization into a therapy session. Right? And some people might say that's tough love, but we need to understand that work is a very different dynamic. Work is progress, growth, development, customers, business. Like it's, it's a different dynamic when we show up to work. Yeah. And you don't want to, like, you don't want vulnerability from a leadership lens to end up turning into a therapy session for you. And I say that in like, both you and I are huge believers in therapy. We both use therapists. We believe in it. It is absolutely such a wonderful thing to do in, for all of us. And it's not the appropriate thing to be doing with employees to like utilizing that as a therapy session for yourself. And one of the distinctions you really make is that, yes, you want to talk about personal challenges and struggles and be vulnerable. But the key addition here I'm saying is it's for the purpose of connecting, creating trust and relatability. So you're 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 saying that out loud of like what's the reason I'm saying this? This is this is the forward movement from a leadership lens. Yes. Yeah. And so there's there's another framework in the book and I won't go through the whole framework, but it's something I call the vulnerability wheel. And people can kind of visualize it almost like a ripple where you have the central kind of circle and then you have concentric circles that ripple out from that and there's five elements of it. At the very center of that element, and this, this again came from the 100 CEOs that I interviewed, is intention. It is intention. It is understanding why is it that you are sharing or doing whatever it is that you're doing, regardless of what it is, right? Whether you're talking about a divorce, whether you're talking about an illness, whether you're talking about whatever it is, understand the intention of why you're doing it. So I, you know, I talked to several CEOs who shared very personal things with their employees. One CEO told me about a divorce that he was going through. This is the CEO of a, a Canadian paper mill and a company called Domtar. And he was going through a very tough divorce and stuff like that. And he shared this with his employees. And I would ask him, "What is? why would you share this with your employees? There was another CEO that I talked to. His daughter is, uh, she f suffers from a rare genetic disorder called BPAN, where she's in her mid-20s, she's never spoken a day in her life. Mm. She's not able to be self-sufficient. She she can't do anything on her own. And he shared this story about his daughter with his employees. And to him, I, I, I asked the same thing. Why would you do that? This is a personal thing. Why are you sharing this with your employees? And regardless of what these stories with CEOs were, they always told me that they had a reason behind it. So even in those examples, all right, why are you sharing something about your family member? Because I did it with the intention of letting my people know 
that I'm a human being, that I have my mm. own personal challenges and struggles, that I care about certain aspects of health, that I'm a family man. In other words, these CEOs and leaders thought through why they're sharing these things. They, they don't just show up to work and say, oh my God, like I have all these personal challenges and things that I'm going through and like I'm going through a divorce and this and that. They don't just show up to work to spill it out. They think about it and they say, you know what? My team, I noticed that we're having some issues with trust. I noticed that my people view me purely as a CEO and they don't see the human side of me. I want my employees to know that I'm a human being, that I struggle, that I cry, that I go through tough times just like they do because they share those things with me. And so because of that, I want to let them know about some of my challenges and struggles because I want to create trust. I want them to be more engaged at work. I want them to come to me when they have problems in case I might be able to help them. So regardless of what it is that you're sharing, the center of that ripple always has to be the intention. If you show up to work and you share something and I say, hey, Dave, why did you share that? And you say, ah, you know, I, I don't know. I just kind of, you know, I just wanted to vent. That's not a good reason, right? Again, have that intention at the beginning. And it doesn't need to be, right? I'm, I'm not saying that the intention needs to be, oh, you know, we're going to make more money and you're going to service customers better. As long as you know what the intention is, that's all that matters. It can be anything. I want to create trust. I want to let people know that I'm human. Just know what it is that is driving you to do or say the things that, you know, that you're doing. Yeah. And there's a leadership reason behind that. And I think what a great question to ask ourselves, like when we're thinking about, do I want to share? Because I think I know I've had this thought. I'm sure you have. I know most leaders probably do. Like, am I going to share this story, this example, this what's going on, the struggle, whatever? And just asking that question, what's the reason I'm doing this? And and to your invitation, like, what's the leadership component of that, right? Yes, I'm going to be vulnerable. Is there a leadership component here too? Just by asking that question, I think that illuminates a path for us of like, okay, yeah, this makes sense to share. I know why I'm doing this. There's a leadership component about it. Or maybe this is something that I don't talk about, or you know, I talk about in my personal life because there's not as much relevance to something that there's a reason professionally behind. Yeah, absolutely. It's crucial. And you know, kind of building on that point, getting back to this idea of of why vulnerability is so important. And there's so much more that we could talk about, right? Because there are people who work for leaders who are not vulnerable, yet they're still successful. And we didn't dive into that. And should you be vulnerable if you work for somebody who's not, yet they still appear to be successful? Um, but one of the themes that I wanted to touch on, which I think is also very, very important, is this idea of implicit versus explicit vulnerability and dependency. So one of the things that a lot of leaders forget is that if you are in a leadership role and you have people working for you, they're already vulnerable to you. They're, they are already dependent on you because as their leader, think about it. You can make their life a living hell at work if you want. You can demote them. You can make them work crazy hours. You can, I mean, you, you have power and authority over people who work for you. And this is known, right? Any employee is always dependent and vulnerable to a leader. But there's also an in, implicit vulnerability that flows the opposite way. In other words, you as a leader, Dave, are also vulnerable and dependent to me because if I don't do a good job and I'm reporting to you and the team doesn't do a good job and the business doesn't do a good job, guess what? That reflects poorly on you. And so you are also dependent on me 
you are also vulnerable to me. The difference in these two scenarios is that it's very explicit that employees are dependent on their leaders, but it's implicit that leaders are dependent on their employees. In other words, we don't talk about that second one. Mm. Leaders don't go to their employees and they say, you know what? I cannot do this without you. I'm depending on you. We don't talk about that. We don't address that. And I've interviewed a couple of researchers and psychologists. One of them is Sim Sitkin. He's one of the world's leading experts on trust. And he told me that what happens is as leaders grow and they ascend kind of the, the corporate hierarchy, what starts to happen is the more power and authority they get, the more they assume that everybody needs to trust them and be vulnerable to them. And the less the leader believes that they in turn need to be vulnerable and trust the people who work for them. Uh. Because again, you're, I'm in a leadership position. So I assume you got to be vulnerable to me. You got to trust me. But because I'm the leader, I don't have to do that for you. You're below me. What, what, you know, what do I need to trust you for? Why do I have to be vulnerable with you? So by leading with vulnerability, what starts to happen is you level the playing field. So you kind of think of this as like a little bit of a seesaw. The employees are at the bottom. The leader sits at the top. When you lead with vulnerability, you level that seesaw out. So now I'm on the same page. You're my leader. We're equal. What happens when we're equal? Well, now I can come to you and I could say, hey, Dave, I have a really interesting idea I wanted to share with you. Mm. Or, hey, Dave, I'm really struggling with this. I could use some of your guidance and your feedback. Now, all of a sudden, you've created an environment where we have trust, where we have more engagement and open dialogue and collaboration. When you level the playing field, all of these things start to open up. Yeah, it's it's so true. And as I, I think about that analogy of the seesaw, like always been important, but especially now, given the complexity of what's happening in so many places in the world and organizations and technology and the, the ability for leaders to have more empathy about the changing nature of work yeah. and people working in hybrid environments and remote, like to be able to have that seesaw balance out, anything we can do to get there. I mean, it's just huge for us. And I, that's why I love this invitation of like, yes, vulnerability, of course, and leadership, right? Like what's yep. what's the reason behind what I'm communicating? I hope folks will get the book. I mean, we have just <laughs> we've really discovered a couple of ages. There's so much more in the book that really, as you alluded to, there's so many questions we're not answering in this conversation. But the place to start is asking that question: What's the reason I'm doing this, and what's the leadership component of it? I think if like you start there, what a great place to begin. So I hope folks will go get the book. We're going to link up to it in the weekly guide, of course. Uh, one last question for you, Jacob. As you have been writing this book over the last couple of years, obviously it was a process. You know, you had such a journey yourself just thinking about this and your own family history and your health. What's something that in going through this process you changed your mind on? Oh, that's that's an easy one. That vulnerability is weakness. Because I legitimately was one of those people and my wife could attest to this, where I thought vulnerability, and I won't curse on your show, but I thought vulnerability was complete BS. I, you know, for pretty much my entire adult life, 35, 38 years, I thought, who the hell cares about your problems? Why should you be sharing this stuff? Don't be weak. Be strong. You know, a tough guy. Right? I mean, I have a three-year-old son and a soon-to-be seven-year-old daughter. And even raising those two young kids kind of taught me that the idea that vulnerability is weakness is actually a pretty toxic thing. Like it, it's pretty bad. It's not helpful. And when you believe that, 
what starts to happen is you you pack everything in. And this is exactly what happened to me with the panic attacks, right? What I've learned is that eventually life will make you vulnerable. Eventually, either you will need help. Maybe you're going to get laid off. Maybe you're going to be in a tough spot. Maybe you're going to get sick. Maybe somebody on your family is going to get sick, which again, I hope none of these things happen to you. But eventually, something tough will happen to you. Eventually, life will make you vulnerable, just as it did me. And when it happened to me, I had no tools. I had no resources. I was not prepared. I freaked out. I didn't handle it well. So if you know that at some point life will make you vulnerable, isn't it in your best interest to teach yourself how to approach vulnerability in the right way so that you can tap into it as a superpower instead of viewing it as some sort of a kryptonite that's going to hurt you or kill you or bring you down? And if you work for an organization or for a leader where you do not feel you can lead with vulnerability, that's not a place for you to be in. So the biggest thing that I changed my mind about is that vulnerability is not a weakness. It's actually your greatest leadership superpower. And those who can tap into it, I think are able to do anything. If you can lead with vulnerability, you can do anything and lead anybody, any team, any company, and you will be successful. Jacob Morgan is the author of Leading with Vulnerability, How to Unlock Your Greatest Superpower to Transform Yourself, Your Team, and Your Organization. Jacob, thank you so much for your wisdom. I so appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. This was a fantastic conversation. I'll be honest, this was probably my favorite conversation that I've had to date about the book. And is it okay if I give people my email in case they have questions about this? Yeah, sure. So I I only do this because I've noticed that a lot of people get very uncomfortable talking about this. And so I started giving people my email so they can send me personalized questions. So I encourage anybody to reach out to me if they have questions, things that they're trying to figure out. And I hopefully I can give you some guidance. I'm jacob at thefutureorganization.com. I get lots of emails about this. And then we're doing some cool stuff with the book, as you mentioned, so people can, of course, go to leadwithvulnerability.com too. Great. And we'll get that all linked up in the episode notes as well. If this conversation was helpful, a few related episodes that I definitely recommend for you. One of them is episode 254, Use Power for Good and Not Evil. Dacker Keltner was my guest on that episode. He heads up the Greater Good Center at Berkeley. Uh, A wonderful conversation about the reality of leadership and power for many of us, that when we have more power, we tend to have less empathy in our actions and in our behaviors. It is just a reality of leadership for many people. And we talk in that conversation about how do you work against that? Awareness is an important first step. Episode 254 for that. A great compliment to this conversation on vulnerability. I'd also recommend the episode with Vanessa Bonds, How to Use Power Responsibly. That's episode 551. We often don't realize how much power we have since it doesn't feel that way to us. We're used to the role. We're used to the influence we have. And yet often we have more power than we think, as Vanessa says. A great compliment to this conversation, episode 551 for that. And then finally, I recommend episode 553, The Four Storytelling Mistakes Leaders Make. David Hutchins was my guest on that episode. He's our resident storytelling expert. And one of the points David makes in that episode comes right back to what Jacob said today. A mistake that leaders often make in storytelling is to tell a powerful story 
but then to not connect it back to the why. Why did I just tell this story that I told in front of 150 people or in front of this week's staff meeting? It comes back right back to vulnerability plus leadership, and that's one of the things David advises as well, too. If you're going to tell a story, make sure you explain the why. It may be obvious to you, but may not be obvious to everyone else who hears it. It's one of the many pieces of great advice in that conversation. Again, that's episode 553. All of those episodes, of course, you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you haven't yet already set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com, I'm inviting you to do that. It's going to give you access to an entire suite of benefits that are all free inside the free membership. The free audio courses, all of my book notes, the ability to search for for all of the past episodes by topic and the weekly leadership guide. Each week, I put together a detailed guide that goes to you on email, usually toward the end of the week. It has all of the information about the guest this week, always links to the episode with all of the detailed notes, links to their book if they're an author, and then also links to all of the related episodes. Each week I mention here at the end of the episode, related episodes, as I just mentioned, all of those are linked up in the weekly guides. You can easily track them down. Plus, I'm finding articles, other books. I'm always including a quote from a past guest from one of their books, usually a couple paragraphs each week to remind you something you've heard previously on the podcast. That's all in the week. Weekly guide, one message a week. And it's just one of the many benefits inside a free membership. So if you're not receiving that already, go over to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership, and begin receiving all those benefits. And if you have been receiving that a bit and you've been enjoying the free membership, you may want to f- learn about Coaching for Leaders Plus. There's many additional benefits inside of Coaching for Leaders Plus. And one of them is access to the recording we do each month of our monthly expert chats. This past month, we had Jeremy Utley with us on our expert chat. He was on the podcast here a few months ago talking about how to do a better job brainstorming. You may recall that episode. Many of you said that that was such a helpful conversation. So I invited Jeremy back. He sat down live with our members a few weeks ago and talked about the process of doing a better job with brainstorming. But rather than me asking the questions, our members ask the questions directly. We record those every single month and we make them available to everyone inside of Coaching for Leaders Plus. It's one of the key benefits inside of Coaching for Leaders Plus. So if you'd like to find out more, just go over to coachingforleaders.plus. Coaching for Leaders is edited by Andrew Kroger. Production support is provided by Sierra Priest. I will be back with you next Monday for our next regular episode. Have a great week and see you back then.